0: Just take a few deep breaths. And inhale and exhale. You can leave your eyes open or close them and rest your hands wherever you'd like. As I said, you can close your eyes or look at a point in front of you. Just let the tension go from the day. Just noticing your breath. I'd like you to ask yourself a question. Ask yourself, why am I here in this space? What is my intention? So as an answer floats up, just hold on to that and you can even gently place it on your heart. sink in. What's my intention? Just take a few more deep breaths, in and out. And you can return your attention to the room. When you're ready, you can open your eyes. So I think most of you kind of know the people sitting next to you, but uh, you can take a moment maybe and just uh, introduce yourself to the person in front of you or next to you or behind you and just say hello and welcome each other to the space. Thank you all for coming here today, and um, uh, so uh, maybe we can just kind of shout out popcorn style. It's a small enough group. Why don't we kind of go around and just say a word or two about what brought you here, what you intend to get out of it, what, what's your intention for tonight? Um, so, yeah, just anybody who wants to start. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, any? You're in. Yeah. So just you can just. fly. Uh, yeah. Um, so you can just uh, state whatever your intention is for tonight. Self-care. Self-care, okay. Yeah, anything else? New techniques for self-care. Okay, new techniques for self-care. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Understanding self-compassion. Okay, great, great. All right, thank you. Thank you. So um, yes, as you know, my name is Ravi Chandra. I'm a writer and psychiatrist here in San Francisco. And uh, I've been a a mindfulness practitioner uh, for about 20 years, uh, working on mindfulness, loving kindness, and compassion meditations. Uh, And then on 11-9-2016, everything kind of changed. And I found I had to dig a lot deeper to cultivate my sense of humanity and a sense of identity in these difficult times. Um, So I took an intensive mindful self-compassion class and also a compassion cultivation training eight-week course and then I began to uh, take teacher's trainings for both of those. So I offer now uh, both the mindful self-compassion and the compassion cultivation training eight-week courses and I'll be offering another cycle uh, early next year. Um, But those really helped me, again, to uh, maintain my sense of humanity and identity. And I hope to bring some principles of mindful self-compassion to you tonight and reinforce those for you, for people who have already taken the class, um, and and hopefully have some fun along the way as well. And um, so, just a little story. Uh, Last night, uh, I was on my way home from work after a nine-hour day. Uh, so I stopped off at Trader Joe's, just to pick up a few things. Picked up a few things, went to the, uh, the express checkout lane. I'm waiting, uh, the young lady behind the cashier kind of waves towards me, and I thought she was gonna be my cashier at the second register. So I walk over towards her and she says, no, no, I was just waving to someone behind you. And uh, she said, but now the shame of your mistake is written all over your face for all to see. So, I said, great, thanks, that, that landed on me, <laughs> right? And uh, When did the checkout counter at Trader Joe's become an episode of Say Anything? No, it's not that, uh, you know, I don't have any shame, it's just my, uh, my pride at knowing that you would be my cashier, thinking that you would be my cashier. And so uh, she thought about it for a moment. She says, no, no shame at all. And I said, no, there's too much toxic shame going around anyway. Um, So I gave her that little bit of therapy. And she took it in, she thought about it, she rolled her eyes up and and she shot back at me. Uh, So no shame. So if I were about to commit genocide, I would need to feel no shame. So boom, I'm thinking, I just came to pick up some soy milk and some pepper jack cheese, and now I have to deal with baby Hitler. Great. (laughs) So, I gathered myself and I said, well, no, if you were about to commit genocide, I would strenuously oppose and object to your behavior, but I would do my best to accept you as a person." And she, you know, she kind of thought about that. And so hopefully she's still thinking about that. But, you know, I think we have to work our way up to, uh, to baby Hitler uh, and what we would do. But, uh, but today is just a, a chance to talk about self-care and self-compassion and, uh, and work on our own difficult emotions. Um, so, yeah, so, oh, i welcome, come on in. Okay, so compassion is how we do human. Contrary to popular opinion, it's not Amazon. Okay, Amazon is not how we do human, it's a good adjunct. Uh, Amazon was very helpful for putting together this material, Sammy's camera, Apple, Adobe stock images, so they were all very helpful, but compassion is how we really do human. Um, Caring for others is literally what we do best, despite glaring examples to the contrary and tragic shortcomings. Um, uh, We care for children, family, tribe, and community, and networks of care and strengthen us. Uh, We have evidence of healthcare going back 1.6 million years, but it probably goes back even further than that. On the left you see a photograph of a uh, a 4,000-year-old skeleton from northern Vietnam, and this uh, young man who died around age 20 or so, was born with cripple file syndrome, which left him disabled, unable to move his arms, unable to care for himself or feed himself, but he lived for 10 years before he died, so clearly he was cared for by his family and community. That was 4,000 years ago. And uh, here's some renderings also of Neanderthals, and there are, there's evidence of Neanderthals even carrying uh, their disabled uh, family members or tribe members around with them across long journeys. So they, 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 clearly compassion goes back a long way, and we wouldn't be here without care and compassion. Um, so, uh, as I said, Neanderthals and early, mother, early humans provided health care and uh, a research article stated that the provision and receipt of health care may therefore reflect some of the most fundamental aspects of a culture. Healthcare care is the world's oldest profession. So compassion is central to our social being, and our social being is central to our identity, who we are. Uh, the Dalai Lama said, at the most fundamental level, our nature is compassionate. Cooperation, not conflict, lies at the heart of the basic principles that govern our human existence. An Ubuntu proverb from Africa states, People become people through other people. Our relationships make us who we are. Uh, I wrote in my book, Face Buddha, We are who happens to us and what we make of the happening. We are who happens to us and what we make of the happening. John Bowlby, psychiatrist and attachment uh, theorist, said, there is no such thing as a baby. There is a baby and someone. From our earliest moment, we are in relationship. And of course, compassion is, is or can be or should be a major component of relationship. So caring for others generally comes natural to us, uh, but still needs cultivation. Uh, caring for ourselves and our inner lives, though, Is more challenging. Uh, We don't care for ourselves as well as we care for others. 78% of respondents in the US say they are more compassionate to other people when they suffer than they are to themselves. Um, Self-compassion helps us cope with difficult situations and emotions. And uh, self-compassion builds resilience and prevents burnout, so we'll talk more about that. So difficult emotions are all uh, 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 are, are present within all of us at some time, and all suffering is a crisis in connection, connection to ourselves and connection to others. Um, so here is a list of a lot of uh, common difficult emotions: anger, hatred, hostility, shame, envy, jealousy all emotions of social comparison, also uh, feelings of inadequacy and insufficiency. Um, So these come up commonly, Uh, sadness, depression, failure, social defeat, um, fear, anxiety, frustration, dissatisfaction, loneliness, isolation, rejection. So is there anybody here who has not experienced any of these? Okay, Okay, so we've all experienced them, Uh, I think I've experienced all of them at some point in my life, uh, and and, and so they're very powerful uh, emotions to sit within us, Um, but we don't always know what to do with them. We often get wrapped up in them. And also, uh, these emotions don't just come up within ourselves, but they can also come out when we're confronted by difficult people, such as narcissists. Um, uh, we, uh, people who make us feel like our needs, feelings, and thoughts are not important. And America, over the last 50 years, has become, uh, according to research, increasingly narcissistic and individualistic. And so this has caused, I think, more problems. There's more depression, more anxiety, et cetera, than there were over 50 years ago. Um, so so uh, we feel like our needs, feelings, and thoughts are not important when we're confronted with a difficult person or situation. Uh, We might feel angry, we might feel controlled, we might feel shamed uh, by someone who's very narcissistic. We might feel gaslighted that our reality has been distorted, uh, devalued, helpless. We might feel a dread of seeing that person. Uh, We might get pushed inside of ourselves, it's called involution, so our thoughts and emotions go inside and it's hard to find ourselves again. Uh, We might feel like an extra in their movie Uh, We might feel like an object uh, that, for their use, to be discarded when they no longer need us. Uh, Alternatively, we could feel idealized, at least temporarily, Um, and these are all uh, due to a paucity or a turbulence in that difficult person's inner life, so we feel what they are unable to feel. Now, it would be nice if all of them came with name tags that said this, hello, I'm an but they don't, so, so we often get surprised. And it would be nice if we had the presence of mind that when we saw a difficult person, we could simply say this, keep calm and get over yourself. But usually, often we don't have the presence of mind to do that. Um, but uh, that would be nice. But uh, finding our way back to belonging, I think, is the way out of suffering. And friendliness and compassion bring us to connection and belonging with ourselves and others. So if we look at uh, our inner life again, we might have many, diff- many different emotions, like joy, anger, surprise, sadness, fear, despair, confusion, disgust, and mistrust, um, all part of our emotional uh, inner worlds. But if we can add friendliness and compassion, it kind of makes everything go easier. Um, And I like to call friendliness and compassion umami. So you know what umami is. Umami is the fifth flavor. There's sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami. And umami makes food taste more delicious um, and uh, tasty. Uh, And uh, and I think if we add um the umami of friendliness and compassion towards ourselves to our inner life, we can make our inner life and relatedness more tasty and delicious. So how do we do that? It basically starts with asking this question. Uh, Given uh, a difficult situation, how would I treat a dear friend going through this? What would I say? What would be the tone of my voice? What gestures, body language, or touch would I use? Um, And generally, people are able to respond uh, how they would treat a dear friend. Well, you'd start to apply that to yourself as well. So here are the stages of compassion. First, to notice the suffering, uh, to develop concern for the suffering, to generate the desire to help the suffering, and then actually taking action to relieve the suffering. And I think of these as like train stops or BART stops. So you get to Embarcadero, don't get off the train, you notice the suffering. Get to Montgomery Station, develop concern for the suffering. Okay, now you're at Powell Street. You're generating the desire to help. Finally, you get to Civic Center You have you, and you can get out and take action to relieve the suffering, but often people get off at the earlier stops You know because they don't and so they don't they don't uh, feel like they can do it go all the way But uh, the mindful self compassion and compassion cultivation training helps you go all the way to the destination Okay, so this is uh, an image from Emma Seppala's uh, website. She's uh, a researcher, and it's a very big infographic, but I've just summarized it, but there are benefits of self-compassion. Basically, that self-criticism is self-defeating, and it does not help you, whereas self-compassion is a healthy alternative that reaps results, and we'll talk about a little bit about those results. Um, but uh, uh, it helps you get up after you've had a a difficult time, after you've fallen down. So there's that Chinese saying, fall down nine times, get up 10. Well, this helps you get up all those 10 times. So there are three components of mindful self-compassion. There's the mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. So uh, this is another way I like to look at it. So here I am stuck inside with all my difficult emotions. Add some mindfulness, ah, feels better. Add some common humanity, some uh, connection with others, brain is expanding, and finally, with self-kindness, your brain is expanded to its full potential. So these are guaranteed results. Um, Okay, all right. Uh, So mindfulness, uh, we'll start with each of these. So mindfulness uh, is uh, a contrast to over-identification with thoughts, emotions, and stories. So mindfulness itself is awareness of present experience with acceptance. And it takes cultivation to do that. And it's noticing when an emotion spills into a story, judgment, or criticism. Uh, And it's about being with an emotion rather than being the emotion uh, and and identifying with it and, and getting carried away and wrapped up with it. So we notice the emotion with mindfulness and care for it. So mindfulness is a balanced state of awareness. You don't suppress or avoid emotions, but you notice them and uh, you tend to them. Um, And it does require cultivation and it changes the brain, uh, especially what's called the default mode network. So you may not have heard of that, but the default mode network is lit up in red here on this slide. Um, so it's a midline set of structures in the brain that's, uh, res- that's active when the mind is at rest and inactive when the mind is focused and engaged in a task. So mindfulness is that task that helps uh, the default mode network to be inactive. And it involves thinking about the self, thinking about others, and, or thinking about the past or the future. Um, And this is another example of what the default mode network does. It looks for problems, it creates a concept of self, which is the way you think uh, about yourself, your belief, purposes, uh, uh, traits, etc., within the world. Um, And it projects your concept of self into the past and the future, and then looks for problems in both categories as well. So you, you can see how this default mode network can can really take you out of the the moment. And so this is what happens with mindfulness and other kinds of meditation. It tunes down, uh, so here's experienced meditators demonstrate decreased uh, default mode network uh, during meditation. So uh, so you see with uh, uh, choiceless awareness or loving kindness meditation, or uh, concentration meditation, you see the default mode network tuning down. And so that's great. And so they call it the default mode network because that's what we're doing pretty much all the time. And it it's makes sense from a survival perspective to scan for problems and, and create a narrative self. But there's also another self which we can cultivate, the experiential self grounded in the moment, aware of the, of the of bodily sensations, aware of emotions, and so forth. So, so that's a different uh, way of experiencing yourself. And you can have a dialogue with the narrative self when you're grounded in mindfulness. So the next phase of mindful self-compassion is common humanity versus isolation. Um, so with self-compassion, we see our own experiences of imperfection and difficulties, as part of the larger human experience. Um, So everyone suffers. Uh, Suffering is a normal part of life. Everyone, others, uh, many others have experienced exactly this emotion in some way. We are not alone. And that's such an important reminder to have uh, because often when we're struggling or when we fail at uh, a task, we feel that something has gone wrong or that something is wrong with us. Um, So that this shouldn't be happening, Uh, but this creates a feeling of abnormality uh, that is very isolating. Um, It's as if everyone else is leading a perfectly normal, happy life, but not me. Um, This is not true, but it can feel true if we don't allow ourselves uh, to to feel a sense of common humanity. So uh, the third phase of uh, mindful self-compassion is self-kindness versus self-judgment. Here's you can see the image, uh, all these difficult emotions, primarily of depression, loss, despair, sadness, being held with kind awareness. Um, So so with self-compassion, we treat ourselves with kindness, care, understanding, and support just as we would treat a friend we cared about. and most people treat themselves much more harshly than this. Uh, so to learn the skills, to, s- to not say cruel things to ourselves that we would never say to others in the midst of our suffering. Uh, compassion includes concern about suffering, along with the intention to do something about it. And uh, self-compassion involves actively soothing and comforting ourselves when we're in pain and taking whatever action is needed to help ourselves when we're struggling okay so um so again to review uh, we have with self compassion mindfulness versus not compassionate over identification with thoughts stories and emotions we have a sense of common humanity versus isolation with our uh, our uh, emotion and a sense of self-kindness or cultivating uh, the qualities of self-kindness, as opposed to self-judgment and self-criticism. So uh, Kristin Neff and Christopher Germer, on the left uh, here, uh, they say that mindful self-compassion is being in a state of loving, connected presence. When we embrace ourselves and our lives and others with a sense of loving, connected presence, our experience becomes radically transformed. So the mindfulness creates space around our suffering, and the the common humanity and uh, self-kindness allow you to create warmth, and more warmth allows you to create more space, and it's kind of a virtuous cycle uh, of holding difficulty. All right, so love yourself. You'll be spending a lot of time with you. I think that's very important, and it's—it's it's not loving yourself with self-compassion is not the same as uh, as self-esteem. So, uh, self-compassion doesn't desert us when we fail, as self-esteem does, uh, and, and self-esteem is more contingent than self-compassion. Um, research shows that self, self-compassion is less contingent on things like physical attractiveness or successful performances, and provides a more stable sense of self-worth over time. Um, So self-compassion is actually linked to less social comparison and less narcissism than self-esteem, and it also flies in the face of typical modern ego identity. Uh, such as uh, creating an identity based on uh, achievements, possession, and status. It's No, it's a a, a compassionate recognition of you as a person, as a human being, uh, not in terms of what you do, etc. Alright, so here's a little bit about the physiology of self-compassion and self-criticism. So here's a a person kind of yelling at himself, and self-criticism involves what's called the reptilian, or a primitive center of the brain. Uh, It's called the amygdala. Uh, It's kind of an almond-shaped part of the brain that lies deep within the brain. Um, But that's responsible for survival emotions, fight, flight, or freeze. And when it's turned inwards, it causes stress, depression, and anxiety. And it releases all these bad hormones uh, uh, that might be good in the short term, but uh, really cause problems over the long term, cortisol, adrenaline, and so forth. Well, self-compassion instead involves the mammalian caregiving, or nurturing system, which is uh, based on the frontal lobes and other related parts of, of the brain, uh, a higher, more recently evolved part of the brain, and it, it involves, if you've noticed any, uh, a, a mother or father with their baby or any animal, a tiger with their with their cub. Uh, you'll, you'll notice them uh, with warmth, uh, providing warmth and soothing touch and gentle vocalization. So that's all connected to the mammalian nurturing system. And this releases oxytocin which is the cuddle chemical or the bonding chemical. So that helps you feel good and related to yourself and to others and also endogenous opiates. So it's a very uh, healthy and a virtuous cycle to start up within ourselves. Okay, so again, so here's the stress response. The stress response turned inwards and self-compassion. So fight, when we fight ourselves, we load ourselves with self-criticism, self-judgment, and blame. Uh, When we treat ourselves with self-compassion, we can turn that towards self-kindness. Flight. Uh, Fleeing our emotion can lead to isolation, but instead with self-kindness we find, uh, sorry, with uh, common humanity, we can expand our awareness and not flee our difficult emotion, but feel connected to others who also experience this emotion. And finally, freezing, Uh, if we turn that stress response inwards and and, uh, uh, freeze, we ruminate we over-identify with a thought, emotion, or story, uh, and we stay stuck in it. But with a sense of mindfulness, we can expand and let go of those thoughts, emotions, and stories, and just be aware of our present experience with acceptance. Alright, so mindful self-compassion is supported by scientific research. Um, There are over 1,200 research articles to date, Um, And self-compassion is associated with fewer negative states like depression, anxiety, and shame. Uh, And self-compassion is strongly linked to positive states like happiness, life satisfaction, and optimism. And it's also linked to better physical health. So, these are all good qualities uh, to to bring into our inner lives. Uh, Finally, I I would say, uh, just on a a larger basis, I think that compassion is our social, cultural, evolutionary, and neuropsychological imperative. It's really important to do this um, when we have the opportunity to learn and to grow. Uh, We must, I think, evolve from motivating ourselves with reward and punishment Uh, which involves self and other criticism, shame, blame, and scapegoating. Um, And and they are functions controlled again by the amygdala and our survival brain, and evolve towards our nurturing and caregiving system for ourselves and also for others, uh, which are the cortical regions of frontal lobes, the insula, and so forth. Um, And so finally, cultivating that caregiving system we move towards love, compassion, understanding, curiosity, friendliness, and long-term planning. So I think it's very important to do this and, uh, and I'm glad I've been able to share some uh, basic principles with you. Um, and uh, my organization, uh, I teach mindful self-compassion workshops, uh, which is eight weeks, two and a half hours per week. Uh, along with home exercises and guided meditation, and I'll also be teaching a compassion cultivation training, and uh, that's eight out eight weeks, two hours a week, also with home exercises and guided meditation, and I'll also provide other lectures which are coming up in the next uh, eight weeks. Um, and uh, so uh, there are some websites. If you don't get a chance to take one of these workshops, you can go to the Center for MSC.org. There are a lot of uh, There are online workshops available, um, but there are also guided meditations. You can also uh, see those uh, links to online guided meditations on my website as well. And the Compassion Cultivation Training comes out of the Compassion Institute, which came out of Stanford's Center for Compassion, and Altruism, Research, and Education, but now it's housed outside. But you can also go to compassioninstitute.com and find out more about them. So, um, so yeah, so thank you. That wraps up my lecture, and, uh, and uh, I, I, if, if you'd like, I can, we can just go through a little exercise to kind of guide you through those principles of uh, mindful self-compassion. Um, and, uh, whoops, let me put up that slide to, uh, to remind you what those uh, uh, phases are. So, um, so yeah, so just get comfortable again. And, oh, first of all, so again, just get comfortable uh, where you are. Oh, did you have another question or did something come up? Oh, I thought you had that. No, a, no. A no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so just get comfortable um, and uh, feel, your, feel your chair underneath you. You can close your eyes or leave your eyes open, whatever feels comfortable for you. Take a few deep breaths, in and out, again, just settle into this moment. And you can watch your breath with your awareness as it travels in from your nose, to your chest, to your abdomen, Oh, yeah, Feel the warmth of your hands, perhaps you have one hand in the other, and also place a hand over your heart if you want, feel your warmth the warmth of your hand on your chest, just feel that soothing touch. or return it to your lap. I want you to think of a, a minor distress. Say it was the distress of getting here today. So something not too big, but just, just something uh, that uh, was an obstacle, and maybe you felt anxiety, or worry about getting to the right place. Uh, but just think of that minor distress. And maybe you notice that in your body somewhere. I'm going to walk through the steps of self-compassion in this self-compassion mantra. So you're noticing this distress in your mind or in your body. And say to yourself, this is a moment of suffering. This is a moment of suffering. And that's mindfulness, just noticing. This is a moment of suffering. Now say to yourself, suffering is a part of life. It's normal to have distress, dissatisfaction. I'm not alone with this, suffering is a part of life. I may not like it, it might hurt in the moment, and that's okay to say that too. You You can find your own way of saying, suffering is a part of life, this hurts. This was uncomfortable. (coughs) Finally, say to yourself, in this moment of suffering, may I at least be kind to myself. In this moment of suffering, may I at least be kind to myself. You can find a way to do that by just noticing your, the warmth of your hands or uh, feeling yourself in your body, reminding yourself of your connection to others.
1: So that's the self-compassion
0: mantra. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. And in this moment of suffering, may I at least be kind to myself. Just release any tension from that exercise. Take a few more deep breaths. And return your attention to the rest. One exercise of uh, probably several dozen that we learn during the full eight week course. Uh, and, and as I said, a number of these are available as guided meditations uh, through my website, sflovedojo.org. If you go to the publicly accessible uh, uh, self compassion material, you'll find links to all of that. Uh, yeah. Great. Well, thank you all for being here. Sharing this experience, and perhaps I'll see some of you uh, at the next lectures. Thank you.